We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Usaid, we are recording this episode on Wednesday, March 24th. We're about a week into free agency. You know, we talked about the Andy Dalton news last week on our episode there. Uh, but, you know, other than a couple small things here and there, the Bears, they've kind of been quiet. But of course, the big news having being releasing Kyle Fuller in free agency. So we're already starting to see that defense starting to starting to break up that defense a little bit. Uh, the Bears are still really tight on cap space, so there's going to be a lot of movement, I think, in the next month or so heading into the draft. But, you know, you said, how are you doing today, man? And uh, what are your thoughts so far on what the Bears have been doing in free agency? I'm doing well. You know, NFL draft's getting closer as well, so super excited for that. But just looking at what the Bears are doing in free agency, this is not a surprise, you know, because, again, let's be real. I mean, it all started – Monday night, 1130, when the news broke that the Bears were in on Andy Dalton. And then Tuesday afternoon rolls around and that deal's finalized. And then you get news that, okay, the Bears are in on Kenny Galladay. And then you get news that, all right, Akeem Hicks is possibly on his way out. Then you get news that Kyle Fuller's on his way out. And I'm not surprised at all because, again, we highlighted this on the podcast, did it a couple times throughout the season when we were kind of looking forward to the 2021 offseason where we talked about, hey, listen, if the Bears are going to be a modern NFL franchise, they need to stop investing so much into the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to have to invest into the offense. But with the way the salary cap situation was set up for the Bears is this was an offseason where they were going to have to move on from some high-profile names on defense in order to invest – into the offense now they whether they made the right investments or not in the offense that's a whole separate discussion but I'm not surprised that they let Kyle Fuller go because again they weren't going to pay a cornerback 20 million dollars a year right because that's what Fuller's cap hit was for 2021 I will say this though regarding the Fuller stuff and then at the same time you have all the chatter of Akeem Hicks possibly being shipped out the door I'm actually surprised they kept a that they let the 29-year-old all-pro cornerback go instead of the guy that's going to be like 30, 31 years old heading into the 2021 season. Yeah, that kind of surprised me as well. And I kind of, kind of like you kind of alluded to there, you know, Kyle Fuller, while, you know, he hasn't quite been the same player over the last few years that we saw in his first team all-pro season in 2018, you know, he's still been a very durable player. He's still been a very quality cornerback. And we certainly saw you know, last year, at least he wasn't targeted a lot last season. I think for good reason, he was pretty good when targeted, um, you know, last year didn't give up a ton of huge plays throughout the year. And it seemed like quarterbacks were kind of avoiding his side of the field to kind of focus on Buster screen and Jalen Johnson on the other side of the field. Uh, so Kyle Fuller can still play at a high level. And when you look at the way that, you know, the league is trending right now with offense being so important, the passing game being so important, you know, 
the wide receiver position is probably as flush with talent as we've ever seen in the NFL right now. So you need cornerbacks to cover those guys. And if you think anywhere where the bears could sacrifice a little bit of talent, it would be on, on the defensive line. You look at, you know, some of the guys they have there, they're getting Eddie Goldman back next year. Uh, you got Bilal Nichols still on the roster. They're re-signed Mario Edwards. Uh, they go out there and sign Angelo Blackson from the uh, Arizona Cardinals on a cheap little deal. Um, so they have some talent on the defensive line. And that's kind of been the strength of Ryan Pace as a GM. You know, ever since he took over here, he's found some good quality value on the defensive line. So you'd think that, you know, knowing his history there, that, you know, he'd be willing to move on from an Akeem Hicks who's getting up there in age, who's dealt with some injuries over the past couple of years, who's starting to lose some effectiveness as a pass rusher, at least over the second half of last season, we saw that at least. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought the smarter move would have been to, move on from Akeem Hicks. And you mentioned that, you know, it makes little sense to have a $20 million cap hit for a cornerback here in the, in the case of Kyle Fuller. Well, when you look at the difference between Kyle Fuller and Akeem Hicks in terms of what can be saved on those contracts, you know, to, what the Bears are saving now for Kyle Fuller's contract is $11 million on the cap sheet. And he's going to have a $9 million dead cap hit this season. Um, for them, for him not to play for the Bears, essentially. Whereas we look at Akeem Hicks, yes, he has a smaller cap hit overall, I believe at around 12 and a half million or so, but he only has one and a half million as a dead cap hit and you're saving 10 and a half million against the cap here. So it's a difference. It's a very small difference in terms of uh, what you're saving uh, for each player there. So I would have assumed that the Bears, if they're going to move on from anybody, it would be Akeem Hicks. And personally, that would have been the direction I would have gone to Honestly, I, you know, in my series outlining what I would do uh, in the offseason, you know, I think it was about a month ago where the last part was released. Um, I kind of threw out there that I thought the Bears should move on from both Akeem Hicks and Kyle Fuller, just because, like you mentioned before, you, know, you can't be spending so much money on the defense. That money has to be reinvested onto the offensive side of the ball. And with both those guys, you know, about to be over the age of 30, um, at least, you know, King Hicks, he is about the age of 30 right now. Um, it would make sense, you know, instead of extending those guys to move on right now. Now, I thought they'd be able to get some draft picks out of them in a, in a trade scenario there. Obviously, that's not the case uh, with, you know, how the market is playing out right now across the NFL. Uh, you know, having a defensive player on a big salary cap number just isn't appealing to a lot of NFL team, teams right now. So they're not, they're not going to be willing to trade draft picks away for some of these guys, which it makes sense, but also when, you, when you're the Bears and you're kind of overplaying your hand that you are going to release them, that also diminishes their trade value as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's disappointing that they weren't able to get something out of Kyle Fuller. It sucks that uh, one of the mainstays of their defense is gone. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens here with the quarterback situation. They did sign Desmond Trufant uh, on a one-year deal. We're, we still haven't seen what the actual cap number is for – uh, his contract yet. I'm assuming it's going to be for a cheap deal to come in and compete for a starting position. Uh, Desmond Trufant, he had a pretty bad year with the Lions last year, but everybody on that defense was pretty bad uh, with Matt Patricia coaching there. So I'm actually a, a pretty big fan of that signing. Um, I think Trufant, he's a solid starting caliber cornerback. And if Jalen Johnson develops like I think he will as a you know borderline number one type of cornerback or at least high end number two type of cornerback, I think they could actually have a pretty solid pair on the outside there with those two guys starting. The big issue here is health with those two. Uh, Jalen Johnson, the shoulder injury is a bit of a question mark. And Desmond Trufant, he's had his troubles staying healthy as well. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned like Desmond Trufant on a one-year deal. I, I, I think one thing to note is that if you remember in Ryan Pace's first two off seasons here, what was his theme? He was signing vets like Tracy Porter to one year, you know, small one or two year deals and just to plug roster holes, to buy time to draft guys. So I think we're seeing a lot of the same thing six or seven years later in the sense that, okay, you know what? You move on from a guy like Kyle Fuller, you replace him with a guy like Desmond Trufant on a one year deal. And now I think what's going to happen is you're going to put some of your chips on the table and you're going to say, Hey, listen, Let's go ahead. Let's develop a guy like Kendall Wilder. Let's develop a guy like Duke Shelley in 2021. Because again, some of these late round picks that Pace has hit on, sometimes they may have an impact in year one. Sometimes they don't have an impact until year two or year three, right? 
And so naturally for the Bears, you know, Pace seems to be taking the same approach to building the roster that he did six or seven years ago. And that kind of, to me, is a bit troublesome because when I look at it overall, the league continues to change every single year. I mean, we hear all the time it's a copycat league, but again, you cannot copy exactly how one team has done something and then use the same approach to build your team because what you're missing out on is the same players, the same talent. So Pace is kind of doing this offseason what he did when he first got here and you just have no idea what direction it's going to go in because ultimately I think the smart thing for the Bears to do and for Pace to do this offseason would have been to do what the Saints did a couple years ago in the sense that they win the Super Bowl and then you go through this consecutive stretch where three four seasons you're going seven and nine and essentially what's happening is what what the saints do they use the 2015 2016 2017 draft to add guys like andres pete and alvin Kamara and ryan ramscheck they added michael thomas too they built the defense up too and then what happens is now all of a sudden as a result of two or three good drafts you're competitive again instead the bears did the exact opposite they went out and they're like all right we're gonna throw money at a quarterback who has always been a, an average quarterback. We are going to try and go ahead and just patch some of our holes up via free agency, hoping it works out. So the bears are really kind of doing themselves a disservice here in the long run. And we haven't even made any major moves this off season. Let's be honest. I mean, the biggest move is going to come on the night of April 29th during the first round of the draft, because if the bears trade up for a quarterback with where they're at, at 20th overall, what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to trade multiple first round picks to have a chance at Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields, or even you could argue Mac Jones, because the price to move up from 20 to the top 10, the top 15 over the last couple of years, we've seen teams do it. And teams have had to give up a future first rounder pick to do it as well. Yeah. Like you said, it's going to come down to draft night. And that's really the big thing for the bears this off season, you know, whether it's trading up for a quarterback, whether it's somehow getting a deal for Russell Wilson done, we'll, you know, still see, apparently that situation is still fluid according to many sources. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there, but more likely it's going to come down to, you know, they're going to have to add some more young talent to this team. And, you know, I would hope that they would try to trade back and acquire some more draft capital because, you know, like you said, it's going to be very expensive for them to trade up and get a quarterback. And while that would be exciting and certainly add some more, you know, it was add some more splash value and, and, and add some excitement to this team. Now that, you know, you'd have a, you know, another young quarterback to hopefully build around here, you know, from a resources, you know, standpoint, they are limited right now. And I'll give Pace credit in this aspect, you know, this off season, he isn't, you know, kicking the can down the road too much this off season. He's doing a pretty good job of not, you know, digging into future cap space. Do you feel the team this year? Obviously uh, they kind of uh, fudged the, Andy Dalton contract a little bit to lower his cap in and kind of move some money into future years, but it's really not that much. It's like three or 4 million. I think uh, is going to be on the books next year. Um, so other than that, they aren't really spending very big on, on long-term future deals and moving money into the future. Uh, they're kind of doing what is necessary here to kind of, you know, get some cheap signings here, not spend too much money, try to fill some holes, get some more depth. And I, I think, uh, you know, looking at some of the moves here, there are some positives there. I mean, I like the, I like the signing of Jeremiah Atuachu from uh, the Denver Broncos at the edge position, getting Elijah Wilkinson from the Denver Broncos, a solid swing tackle, uh, you know, solid borderline starting guard type of player there for them to kind of compete in the offensive line. So um, starting to fill some, goal, some gaps here, um, getting Damian Williams uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs on a cheap deal, I would assume on a one-year deal. So, uh, getting some more extra talent here to kind of fill some holes, like I said, to get some more depth. But uh, like you said, it comes down to draft night and what are they going to do in the draft? That's really going to be the big thing here. And I think that's a good way to kind of transition to our topic for today's episode. And that's going to be continuing our preview series for the 2021 NFL draft. So last week we focused on the tight ends. We're going to be going to the, the, the defensive side of the ball this week to focus on the safety position. So a lot of these guys are going to be covering these tight ends um, in the NFL as these guys can transition to the next level. So what we're going to be doing is the same thing we've been doing for all these positions, just breaking down our top five players at the position, our sleepers, some of our guys that uh, could be steals on day three of the draft, as well as some guys that could be a little bit overdrafted or overhyped in this process, as well as how we think the Bears uh, should be going about addressing the position in the drafts going forward. So 
We're going to get to all that in just a second here. But before we do that, we're going to take our first break of the show um, and get back to you with our top five safeties. And we're back at Picks for Pace, going over our top five safety to start off this episode here for this topic. Uh, you say to, I'll start with you. What? Who are your? Uh, who's on your list for your top five safeties here going into this draft? Yeah. So my top five is number one. I've got Trevor Morig from or Trayvon Morig from TCU. Then number two, I've got Javon Holland from Oregon. Number three, I have Hamza Nasirul Dean from Florida State. I really hope I'm saying that correctly. Number four, I have. James Wiggins from Cincinnati. And then fifth, I've got uh, Richie Grant from UCF. Yeah, I think we can both agree on the number one. It seems like Trayvon Merrick is the number one consensus, number one safety in this draft. And I have him there as well as my number one safety. Interestingly, at my number two, I have Richie Grant out of UCF as my number two safety. Really like him. Got to see him at the senior bowl. I will get to more on him in a bit, but my number three, I have Javon Holland out of Oregon. And then number four and number five, two guys that weren't on your list, but two guys that could be considered sleepers, I think, in this draft class. But I just like them so much that I put them in, the, in my top five. Uh, Jamar Johnson out of Indiana and Tyree Gillespie out of Missouri. So I think we should start off with Trevon Merrick here. Uh, he's a guy that, again, like I said, he's kind of considered the, the consensus, consensus number one safety in this draft class. And for me, uh, I see him as a borderline first-round talent. I wouldn't say he's quite a first-round lock for me. Um, he isn't on the level of, let's say, a Jamal Adams or a Derwin James or any of these other safeties in previous drafts um, that have gone in the first round and have been you know, rated pretty highly in the pre-draft process. I would consider him on that level. And in fact, you know, while I think the safety class does have a lot of depth to it and there's a lot of talent, I think, on day two and day three to, to take advantage of here, uh, like I said, there isn't that one or two, those one or two guys at the top that really separate themselves and make and make it known that they are star level players, um, you know, at, at the next level, at least, you know, not that what we're seeing in the pre-draft process. So Merrick, I think he's the closest thing to that. Um, he's a very versatile player in this, uh, in terms of his play style here, do a lot of different things in coverage. Uh, what are some of the things that you like about his game as a whole? Well, what I really like about him, and you go back and you kind of watch his tape just throughout his time at uh, TCU, right? And then you realize like throughout his time at TCU, they placed him in multiple roles, right? So obviously there were some times where he was a single high safety, but then the reality of the situation is that they he was also free flowing right so like I said they moved him all over the field I mean I thought he was pretty productive in terms of just breaking up passes all right kind of being a ball hawk getting after the ball right and then one area where I feel like he has to improve because he's so strong in coverage right but he just has to be better when it comes to um getting involved in the run game and the reality of the situation right is that sometimes he's a bit too over he's a bit like darnell savage who was drafted out of maryland a couple of years ago in the sense that when it comes to tackling he's just too too aggressive sometimes and that actually tends to hurt him so the reality of the situation is morig is a guy to me that is very reliable in coverage right but the thing is right is he needs to go ahead and he needs to um really clean the tackling up if he's going to be a more complete player yeah, that was the thing that kind of stood out to me as well in terms of a weakness. It's not that he's like not a willing tackler. It's just that his techniques kind of kind of all over the place. He can kind of take some bad angles at times, I think, in the run game. Um, and like you said, getting a little bit too over aggressive at times. But you know that that value of him in the in the in coverage and what he does there is extremely valuable. And just to expose kind of a scouting bias of mine, I value safeties uh, that can offer more in coverage a little bit more than guys that, you know, are physical tacklers in the run game. Um, so I, I'm willing personally as an evaluator to overlook some concerns for guys as a tackler, you know, the way I say, as long as they are willing to be a tackler and are willing to put their nose in there and get dirty, you know, to an extent, um, you know, I'm willing to give a pass on that because I feel like you can kind of clean that up at the next level with coaching and, and more reps and practice on working on your technique as a tackler. Um, as long as you have the willingness to do it. But what's very valuable here and stuff that is tougher to teach, I think, is the coverage value of things. And, and Merrick, he's very good at that. Um, he's a guy that played a lot of too high safety at TCU. Um, they have another good safety there. I think our there is Washington um, as well. So those two guys really were uh, standout players for them in that secondary. And those two guys 
Um, and we look at Merrick specifically, now he's a guy that can man up in the slot. He's got very good diagnosing skills to break on routes underneath and just very sound in coverage as a whole. So there's a lot to like about his game. And that kind of leads me to my number two guy, Richie Grants, who is your number five safety in this class. And to me, um, personally, I think he's a borderline first round talent as well. And honestly, I had a tough time ranking him and Mary here um, because I, in my opinion, I think they're interchangeable on my board here, depending on what you're looking for in a safety. But the way I see it with, with Richie Grant here is I see him as more of an explosive athlete than Merrick, but he also is a little bit more hit or miss in coverage. You know, Merrick is very consistent, I think, in coverage. Uh, Grant, he does have some, you know, he'll, he'll give up some big plays here and there and have some mental errors that kind of uh, leaves a little bit to be desired on certain plays. But, you know, looking at his background here, uh, he was a guy, when I watched him, like I said, at the Senior Bowl, he was by far the best defensive back down there out of all the guys down there at the senior bowl he was clearly the best he was making impact plays on every single day of practice um and what i like about his game is when i watch him on tape is uh he plays like his hair is on fire and he just brings a good, very good motor very high motor on every single snap just very fun to watch on every single play and similar to merrick he's very versatile as well he can play man-to-man against wide receivers he showed that off at the senior bowl he has the range to play single high safety i mean cover one or cover three and he can contribute as well in the box and run support as well. He's not afraid to uh, get physical in the run game and tackle and blitz and do all those different things there. And his ball skills in terms of making plays on the ball, getting interceptions, pass deflections, all that stuff, is among the best in the class, in my opinion. So Richie Grant, he's just a playmaker. Um, you know, there are going to be instances where he does give up a couple big plays here and there, but you're just going to have to live with it because he's a guy that has, you know, very good instincts. And he's going to make a lot of plays throughout the course of the game. And, you know, there are going to be some misses here, but when he hits, it's usually going to be very beneficial in terms of creating turnovers or creating game-changing plays for uh, your defense. Um, now, with that said, kind of similar to Merrick, uh, he does have to work on his tackling a little bit. He can be very aggressive as well, which does get him into a lot of, <laughs> a lot of trouble at times. Um, but like I said before, the willingness is there, and he's a guy that I'm not, you know, once he gets proper coaching, I'm not, you know, scared off by his tackling. I think he's a guy that will be a solid tackler at the next level. Yeah, Grant's very interesting to me because, like, when I go back and I watch his tape, right, one of the things that kind of shows up to me is it just seems like he – there's times, right, where when it comes to, like, the angles that he takes with tackling, right, um, he needs to be, like, more consistent at that, right? So take, like, more consistent angles with tackling. And then I think another thing that, um, you know, he has to work on would, um, you know, just playing with much better, like, technique or control, whichever term you want to use – for his tackling, but I will say this. I think, you know, Grant being my number five guy right now, yeah, some will say I've ranked a bit low, but I also do think that um, when he gets to the next level, especially if he gets the right coaching, you know, he's going to emerge as one of the top safeties in this class. So it's going to be very interesting to see how kind of his career develops, right, compared to some of the top guys in this class like Javon Holland or Hamza Nasirul Dean. Yeah, like I said, I, I have him personally as a borderline first round, early second round type of talent, but he's probably probably going to go on day two. I think a team's going to get very good value on him on day two just because he just he has, I wouldn't say star uh, potential there. Well, he does have star potential there, but he just has that star quality about him in terms of the playmaking ability. And there are just certain flash, there are flashes on film where you see that, okay, this guy does have some special ability here if we can you know, coach him up on a few things and get him in the right position. But our third guy here that was both on our top five here um, is going to be Javon Holland as well. So uh, I have him as my number three safety. I believe you had him at your number two spot, if I had that correctly. Um, he opted out of 2020, interesting enough. And the way I see him, uh, you say it is uh, Javon Holland, high floor but low ceiling player uh, who's going to bring you a lot of versatility in your secondary. It's very interesting how they used him at Oregon. He was kind of aligned mostly as a slot cornerback. Um, but I feel like he has a lot of the abilities abilities to play all over the field as a safety. Um, but the thing that kind of lowers me a little bit on him and, you know, Holland, he was a guy that was mock drafts, you know, in the pre, in preseason uh, as a guy that was considered almost like a top 10 consensus prospect in this class. But I think as more people went back and watched his tape and got to see some of these other safeties play that they started to see that, you know, he doesn't really stand out much as an athlete overall. Um, you know, he's a guy that kind of, like I said, he has a low ceiling compared to some of these other guys here 
Um, but what raises his floor and makes him a very safe prospect, in my opinion, are his instincts and his, and his IQ. He's got a very high football IQ, and it's very rare to see that, I think. Um, so while I don't think he's a true deep safety or a true box safety in the NFL, he's a guy that can fill a variety of different, different roles for you. And like I said, just a very safe, safe prospect on day two of the strap. I don't think he's a first-round talent, but on day two, like second, third round, I think it's a good value for him there. Right. I totally agree. I, I think one of the things we also have to understand with Holland is that he was actually a, one of, I know, I think two Oregon players with Panay Sewell being the other one who opted out for the 2020 season due to COVID. But then I also think that when you look at just the safety class in general, they're, I mean, let's be real, right? In any other year, these guys would probably go in the first round, guys like Morig or Holland or even Richie Grant. But I just don't see that happening this year. I think when we look at draft boards over the last couple of years, kind of what's happened is teams are realizing, all right, more than anything, we can grab a safe, a quality starter at the safety position on day two or even day three. So with a guy like now getting back to Javon Holland, right? I really like what he brings to the table. Okay, I do think that... um He's physical as well, right? Uh, and then just the best thing that sticks out to me about him is that I like the versatility that he has, right? In the sense that, all right, so you can place him on the back end as a safety. You could put him in the slot too if you needed to. So this is a player right now that I think obviously he's going to slip to round two, but the real round two, you could argue even late round three if or round three if a team's going to get like excellent value for him. But the reality of the situation is that he just brings so much to the table that NFL defensive coordinators are going to covet at the um at the at the next level. And so when I look at Holland, right, like, yeah, he opted out. And so maybe him opting out in 2020 really kind of had an impact on his draft stock. But then again, overall, he's just a really well-rounded player for the safety position. Yeah. He certainly brings a lot to the table. I think any team that drafts him uh, is probably going to be on day two, but even if it's, if it's on day three, I think you're going to look at that pick and we're all going to be talking about that as a steal type of pick there. So if he falls to day three, um, I, I think he's going to be a very good value for any team that drafts him. But uh, take me through, you said, your other two guys here, because for our last two spots in our top fives, we had different players here. So uh, for your last two guys here, James Wiggins, I believe it was out of Cincinnati, and uh, Hamza Nazir-Ladin out of Florida State, what are some of the things that you like about those two guys in terms of what they bring to the, at the, to the next level uh, in terms of their strengths and weaknesses there? Yeah, so Hamza Nasiruddin from FSU is interesting because there was actually a time where he was considered to be a second-round pick, and I do still think that he's locked into late round two, early round three. But what I really like about him is just the fact that you see the physicality there. You see the athleticism, right? You see him kind of jump right off the screen, okay? Um, he So essentially, this is someone that is you know versatile. I mean, he's a guy who can consistently match up against tight ends and not necessarily shut them down, but maybe go ahead and neutralize them. But one of the big things with him is this, right, is injury history is a big thing, right? Because he missed all of 2019 with a torn ACL, missed about two games in 2020 to because of the same torn ACL that he sustained in 2019. But I think he has to get better, right, when it comes to his ball skills, right? Because... If you don't, I, I'm just one of those guys where when I look at Nasir Dean, I say, hey, if he had really solid ball skills, all right, um, if he could just be more consistent when it comes to like blitzing as well, he would probably be a top three safety in this class. So the reality is this is a guy that has all the physical gifts, right? It's just, can he kind of put that entire skill set together to really take him over the top? Um, I think that right now, when you look at him, there's not necessarily a set position for him as a defensive back at the next level. I just think that it's going to depend what he does in the NFL and where he plays is really going to depend on, uh, I'm sorry, it's really going to depend on where he's essentially drafted or to what team and what defensive scheme he's drafted into. Because we've seen guys over the last couple of years, it's just like, you know, they get drafted to a certain team and then all of a sudden teams try them out at like one position and then they don't pan out there. And then a guy's entire career goes out the window. Whereas you have other guys like, all right, they get drafted somewhere. And then all of a sudden they defensive coordinators and the teams right are able to work wonders. And that guy there is just like one of the most underrated, like, or one of the most like underappreciated players in the NFL, at his respective position. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll get to Nazir Aldean uh, later when we get to our sleepers over hype prospects. But James Wiggins is also interesting, an uh, interesting name as well because he's a guy that I think is – I considered him for as one of my sleepers, but I, I ended up going in a different direction there. But Wiggins, he's a very interesting player because um, he's a guy that also has an injury history that kind of may throw teams off there and might cause them to you know, fall down draft boards a little bit. But I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the Bears can get him on day three because – He's got a lot of potentials as well with his athletic profile. Yeah, he does, you know, and, and one of the things to keep in mind with him is there's, like I said, like you mentioned, right? The athletic profile is obviously off the top. I think that Wiggins is a physical player, right? You can place him in the slot. You can be a really good defender in zone coverage, but I think one of the areas where he has to grow and, this just comes consistently from watching him over the last couple of years. It's just like he has issues, right? When it comes to jumping routes or just anticipating the kind of routes that wide receivers are going to run. Cause when you turn on Wiggins safe, there's just been too many times where as a result of his inability to read routes and read opposing offensive playmakers, what's happened is he's essentially like gotten kind of lost. So this is a player that I look at right now. And I think that he's going to look a bit better if he has a strong front seven in front of him, but certainly by like year two, he's someone that I think will be a solid starter in the NFL. Yeah. Well, this is very interesting. Like I said, I, I really hope that he falls to the bears on day three, because he's one of those guys. We saw that with Eddie Jackson in 2017, you know, a very talented safety out of Alabama that fell due to injuries and what do you know, you know, you, you take a chance on that, on that type of player there and it can really turn, it can really pan out for you at the next level. But, you know, I'll finish up this segment with my two guys here on the finish up my top five uh, in terms of what I like about these guys here. And that's Jamar Johnson and Tyree Gillespie uh, starting with Johnson here out of Indiana. You know, this is a player that has been rising slowly up draft boards, I think as the season winded down and, you know, in the pre-draft process, we've seen him rise up these draft boards and I think he'd be considered one of my sleepers here um, by yourself, truly. But, uh, you know, since for the just for the reason that I don't think many people have heard of this guy and very similar to Javon Holland, I think, in terms of skill set here, not a great athlete uh, by any means. I would say he's not a bad athlete by any means, but uh, he's one of those players that with his you know, instincts and football IQ, He's just always in the right place at the right time, it seems like. And he's a versatile player to where uh, you can ask him to do a variety of different things, and he's going to be able to do it at a very high level, I think, at the next level. You know, he's a solid tackler considering his size. Uh, he can play single high on in, in zone coverage and cover one, cover three, and in those type of roles there. He can also man guys up in the slot a little bit here is, is in there as well. And one of the things I like about his game as well um, at Indiana and, you know, Indiana's defense, they do a lot of things to kind of trick uh, quarterbacks pre-snap. And uh, Jamar Johnson was a master at this at uh, this last season, uh, just lining up in, in places where he, he just knew how to disguise his intentions before the snap. And uh, you could tell it, it just messed with quarterbacks um, and, and led to a lot of bad decisions by quarterbacks. And specifically, we look at this here with uh, Indiana, of course, against Ohio State when they played each other earlier in the season that was obviously Justin Fields worst game arguably of the year maybe other than Northwestern potentially but I mean jo Jamar Johnson almost single-handedly ruined Justin Fields day in that in, in that Ohio State game he had the first interception off of just off of Justin Fields where um he was playing I believe it was like a cover three zone or something over the middle of the field he's playing zone over the middle of the field and reading Justin Fields eyes and he broke across the field to make a play to get the interception there where Justin Fields was staring down at the receiver of the scene the entire way. And, J and Jamar Johnson read it perfectly, made a great play on the ball um, to get that interception there. And he was just doing stuff like that all game where pre-snap, he's, he's lining up in certain spots and he's, you know, bailing out to other, other spots in the zone. And uh, you could just tell that Justin Fields was just confused about that throughout the entire game there. So uh, Jamar Johnson, uh, I think he's a guy that uh, will be able to, contribute right away once he gets to the NFL. And like I said, I think you consider him a sleeper in this class because he's probably going to go on day three. And I think a team is going to be very happy with him um, regardless of what scheme they run or, or what they ask him to do at the next level. And then my number five guy here, Tyree Gillespie out of Missouri, you know, I, I don't think enough people are talking about him as well. Um, he's a guy that at Missouri, he played mostly uh, a single high role, but I think he would thrive, you know, the most in a two high safety scheme uh, where he's asked to play more downhill as opposed to playing sideline to sideline, I think. You know, Gillespie was a guy that he's explosive and physical when working downhill against both the pass and the run. And, you know, we saw last year 
there were instances where he showed the ability to shut down tight ends and man-to-man coverage as well. In fact, he also held his own, he held, he held his own pretty well against uh, Kyle Pitts when Missouri played Florida. He had some pretty good reps against Pitts as well, which you rarely see from cornerbacks, let alone safeties. So, uh, you know, Gillespie, he has a lot of traits to build off of here. He kind of reminds me in some ways to Adrian Amos coming out of Penn State, where not the most flashy player in the world, but very explosive, physical, um, has the build of a strong safety, but can play uh, some free safety here and there, some free safety roles, I should say, uh, when you need him to in a too high scheme. But just a really solid player all around, doesn't get out of position too often, always there to make the tackle. Uh, Gillespie, I think he's a guy that's going to go on day three. He's going to be drafted by some team looking for depth at safety, but he's going to emerge as a starter sooner rather than later and be a solid player at the next level. Yeah, Gillespie's a very interesting player to me because overall, when I look at someone like him, right, I the thing is I really do like what he brings. And again, you know, he's one of those guys right now where when you look at a lot of the national, like, draft boards and things of that nature and just national safety rankings. I mean, there's some outlets that have Galepsi, honestly, with where he's ranked. I think that he'd be a day three guy, right? But he is someone that I think is going to start his career mainly as someone on special teams, but then as a result of his ability to go ahead and like tackle, right? And then as his ability because he's pretty, he was solid in coverage throughout his time at Missouri. He's going to be in a situation, right, where he eventually will find um, his way into a start into, you know, an NFL starting lineup. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to transition to our next section here. We're talking about these day three guys that can contribute here. Uh, let's get to our sleepers and overhyped prospects in this class. And you say, I'll start with you. Who is your number one sleeper in this class at the safety position? So mine would actually be Syracuse's Andrew Cisco. I feel like this is someone that kind of has gotten lost in the shuffle when we do talk about some of the other top safeties in this class. Well, when you look at Cisco's career at um, Syracuse, right, you realize that he was really productive in the sense that he had 13 interceptions and then about, I think, 14 or 15 pass breakups, and he played just under 30 games, right? So that was really impressive to me. And then he's a ball hawk, which obviously teams are going to go ahead and covet. And then I like the size that he brings to the table. You see some really nice athleticism shining on tape as well. Now, the one thing with Cisco is this is, yeah, he's got, you know, the size and then the physicality that comes with it. The athleticism is there. Being a ball hawk is there, right? But he just kind of blows some coverages. There's a lot of blown coverages in his game sometimes, right? And then on top of that, the tackling is also a bit of an issue, right? And then he's also unable to kind of, especially against in zone coverage, he has issues anticipating routes. So overall, when I look at him, like there's a lot to like about him, but there's also a lot of um, room for growth. And so he's going to be someone that I think is going to take a full season to really grow into realizing what his full potential can be. Yeah, Cisco's a, a very fun prospect to watch because I mean, if you're looking for a single high, like cover three free safety that can kind of be that uh, that center fielder and play solid in the sideline back there, I mean, he's your guy in this class. I mean, he's a great ball hawk. He makes lots of plays in the ball. I mean, like you said, 13 interceptions, and I think he only played like 24, 25 games. Uh, like, that's really impressive, even at the college level. So uh, he, he just has a knack for making plays on the ball. And he's good ball skills, but – like you said, there are some weaknesses there and, uh, you know, with some of the anticipation, I mean, it's kind of similar to Richie Grant, except at a more like heightened level to where he's going to make a lot of plays on the ball, but he's also going to give up a lot of plays where um, you guys are going to get open on him deep and, and it's going to, you know, create some issues there. But uh, yeah, Cisco's interesting. Another thing to keep in mind for him is I think he tore his ACL this last year as well, or some kind of knee injury. So he's recovering from that. Um, that could push him down draft boards as well. So we could see him go on day three because of that. Um, so that's definitely an interesting player to monitor there on day three, but I think he could be very good value for teams that want to run that Seattle uh, cover three scheme and be that free safety in that scheme. I mean, he's a perfect fit for that. Um, so I'd be looking for teams like that. And I think he'd be very nice in that role uh, for my sleeper here. I have a small school guy and this is somebody in our first mock draft that I drafted for the bears here. I think it was in the fifth round. Um, and that's Reed Blankenship out of Middle Tennessee. So I think with Blankenship here, he's a guy that I think a team is going to be very happy when they draft him uh, on day three of this draft. And that's where I think he's going to be going. Uh, probably fifth round is a sweet spot for him in this draft. 
Uh, to me, Blankenship, he's a perfect fit for a lot of these two high safety defenses uh, where he can use his instincts and quick processing ability um, to make plays uh, downhill, essentially. So basically what the Bears are going to be running here, uh, basically the Vic Fangio scheme in general is going to be the perfect fit for his skill set because he doesn't quite have the range uh, to play single high safety, I think, at the next level. And he's not big enough, I, I think, to be a true box safety here. But, you know, he's a sound tackler. He's got good instincts. Uh, he's a very quick processor with diagnosing route, routes underneath. And he's at his best, similar to Tyree Gillespie, where he's working downhill. He's making plays on the ball there. He's making plays on, on ball carriers, um, you know, when, he's get, when he gets to build up speed downhill. Um, so that's where I think he's the best. And like I said, sound tackler is going to bring good physicality, um, always takes good angles for the ball. He's not going to give up a lot of big plays. Um, but again, the athleticism and the fact that he's from a small school is going to drop him down some boards, but I think he's somebody that's going to be a quality starter in the NFL. If he gets the right opportunity on um, the right scheme, and it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I don't think, I don't think teams drafting him are going to wait long for a uh, hit to develop into a quality uh, starting level player at the safety position. Uh, it's just a matter of where. I think he'd be a perfect f- fit for what the Bears are going to be trying to do um, because he plays more of a conservative approach in terms of making plays on the ball. Now, he does do- he does make plays on the ball here and there and does create turnovers, but um, you know when you're looking at it specifically here with the Bears here with Eddie Jackson, he's going to be very aggressive. He's trying to get turnovers, trying to get interceptions. Reed Blankenship, he's kind of – you can kind of fill that Adrian Amos role of just being more conservative, just making the right play – um, not trying to overextend himself and um, things of that nature. So, you know, if you're looking for a guy who's going to be very assignment sound, a sound tackler, just a very good, good, solid starter who can, you know, be in the right place at the right time and, and not give up too many big plays. Uh, Blankenship could be the type of player that could develop into that type of guy on day three. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned kind of, let's just say Blankenship is drafted by the Bears. It's interesting you mentioned that kind of Adrian Amos role for him because I think that when we look at Adrian Amos, he again, he was drafted by the Bears in 2015. We have to understand that he also took about two and a half, three seasons to really develop into a starter because the Bears, what did they do? I mean, they went out and they signed Quentin Dempsey in free agency in 2017 and then Dempse breaks his arm and then you insert Amos back into the starting role. So ultimately when I look at Reed Blankenship, I think that he is going to have a career very similar or he could essentially be the next Adrian Amos for the bears in the sense that, all right, he's going to start out as a special teamer unless there's a veteran presence there at safety or unless the bears just do not have a veteran presence at safety. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get him those reps that he needs and then one or two or Two or three years into his career, you are going ahead and you are um, making him the starter next to Eddie Jackson. So that's the reason I really like, um, you know, Blankenship as a guy to continuously keep an eye on. Yeah, with guys that, you know, we're, we're higher on than most people are guys we think are, are going to be sleepers. That leads us into our overhyped guys as well. So who is your number one pick for uh, your guy that may get overdrafted or maybe is getting a little bit too much buzz considering where you think he should be drafted? So for me, and this one was a difficult decision for me because there were a couple names that I kind of had to narrow it down to. But um, the number one guy that I narrowed it down to when going back and looking looking at a lot of my draft rankings today was Richard Lacunte the third from Georgia. So ultimately, you look at him right, and you're like, all right. So while at Georgia, you know, you could tell that he was one of the leaders of the defense, right? You could tell that communication was solid, right? He was pretty good in coverage as well. He wasn't great though. But the reality of the situation for me is that the way Georgia used him, I mean, I just think that he needs to be more physical, right? When it comes to the point of attack. I mean, he's 5'11", 190, right? We've seen other guys in the safety class that are like, whatever, six feet tall, 6'1", 195, right? And those guys are super physical. But Lacunte the third just does not kind of bring that physicality and considering what he was asked to do at Georgia, that's a red flag for me. Can he learn to be more physical at the next level? Yeah. But then again, it's just like, if he doesn't learn it quickly, then he's going to be a guy that is evidently going to be a liability in cover, especially in coverage at the next level where NFL offenses are just so much faster. And I will say this, I think that when we look at a lot of these SEC teams, they have really strong front sevens for the most part, right? And sometimes those tend to help out weaker defensive backs 
more than most people are willing to admit. And I do think that Lokunte the third was a bit of a product of a good front seven in front of him. Yeah, it comes kind of odd because like you said, he's more of a covered safety, but another concern I have for him is that he's not a plus athlete as well. He's kind of a poor athlete considering his size. So that kind of, it's kind of a red flag to me as whereas, you know, again, he has pretty good instincts and coverage and he does make a few nice plays on the ball here and there. But uh, if you're not a plus athlete and you're not physical um, as a tackler, then it does create some worry as what, you know, as whether that coverage ability will translate to the next level. Uh, but for my overhyped guy, it's a player that was actually under top five. And I mentioned earlier that I get to him. Um, and that's going to be Hamza Nasir Ladin, uh, Florida, Florida State. He's my overhyped guy in this class. And again, uh, it's kind of similar to some of these other overhyped guys and other position groups I've kind of labeled here. Uh, it's not that he's a bad prospect by any means or, you know, anything close to that. But um, Nazir Ladin, he's being hyped up as one of the better safeties in this class. I'm just not ready to put him there. Um, you know, to me, I think he's a borderline, you know, late day two, early day three type of player. And a lot of people are putting him as a definitive, like second round talent. Um, but with Nazir Ladin, I mean, you kind of mentioned this before, but his physical gifts and upside, it's, it's undeniable. I mean, he's a guy that uh, has a lot of upside and if you get him in the right scheme and you coach him up and you get, you know, some of these things, you know, worked out in his game, he could be a very impactful player um, in terms of being a, you kind of mentioned it here, a tight end eraser in man coverage. I mean, and he's six foot four, 250 pounds with very good athleticism. And he can absolutely take some of these modern day tight ends completely out of the game and man coverage if he gets in the right situation. So that ability is there. I like him as a kind of hybrid, strong safety linebacker, linebacker type of player. You know, kind of like that weak side linebacker in a four three, but would play strong safety and maybe other schemes. Um, you know, but th- like I said, there are concerns for him in terms of his coverage ability. You mentioned the injury history, you know, coming back from that knee injury. Um, he had in 2019, you know, how healthy is he? I mean, he, he seemed pretty healthy down at the senior bowl. Um, didn't see any lingering effects there. Um, but, you know, can he get back to where he was before the injury? We'll, we'll see on that. But what I kind of question here when watching him play, um, he doesn't have the speed. This is before the injury, by the way. Doesn't have quite the speed, even with his athleticism, to play a deep free safety role um, in coverage. I think he's very stiff in his transitions in terms of flipping his hips because, I mean, as a taller safety, that is going to be an issue for you there. And, you know, his mental processing in terms of diagnosing routes underneath and coverage and playing his assignments, I mean, he can give up some big plays there um, in terms of missing his assignments there. So I see the upside. I see why a lot of people like him a lot and think that he can be a difference maker at the next level. But he's a huge risk, in my opinion, not only because of the injury, but you know, he's not necessarily the greatest player in coverage and his run defense. While he's very physical, you know, I, I mentioned in the past that I'm willing to give you a pass as a, as a, as a tackler, if he had that coverage value, but Nazir Ladin, he doesn't have that coverage value in my opinion. So, you know, it's kind of concerning to me that, you know, his technique is a little bit all over the place as a tackler. And, you know, if he's going to play that hybrid linebacker type of role, you know, you're, you're going to be, he's going to have to be more, you know, sound as a tackler and more consistent there because there are a lot of plays where he goes for the big hits uh, on film and he just completely whips and it leads to a big run or an extra couple of yards here for the running back. Yeah. Nasir Dean, you know, the it's, it's kind of like we both hit on, right. Physical gifts, obviously all there. Right. But then the question is, it's just like, can he be drafted into a situation where, a team can kind of take his physical gifts and then go ahead and mend those together, right? To just make him a more complete player overall. I ultimately think that that's what it'll come down to at the next level. And even if he does not realize that full potential, I still think that he's going to have a very good career in the NFL, even if it's as a core special teamer. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a role for him in the NFL. It's just a matter of where he goes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, well, let's get to our final section here for this episode, breaking down these safeties by going over how we think the Bears should address the position going into the draft here. So first I'll do a little brief, like go over the position of the, you know, the state of the safety position right now for the Bears, kind of go over who's on the roster and where everything's at there. So right now looking at the safety position here, the only long-term starter that I see here for the Bears is Eddie Jackson here. Um, you know, at the field safety position. So, and it's kind of interesting because the Bears, they run, they don't run a, a traditional free safety, strong safety type of, a, of a, you know, position scale there. They have a field safety. So the guy that's going to be um, playing, basically, if you look at it, where the balls line up on the hash marks, you know, you know, the side of the, of the, of the play where the ball is closer to the sideline, that's where the, you know, boundary safety is going to be. The field safety is playing on the opposite side where there's more room in, the, in grass there. You know, Eddie Jackson typically lines up on the field side where there's more room to cover there on that side of the ball. And, you know, why that's important is because the Bears, they don't run a traditional free safety, strong safety alignment there. They like to run a lot of, especially now at the size as the defensive coordinator, they're going to be running a lot of too high with the safeties, both safeties like way off the line of scrimmage in the secondary there to where they can disguise a lot of their coverages. So when you're looking at the skill set here, the Bears are probably be looking for safeties that are consistent tacklers during the run game, but also have value as a versatile coverage player and can do a lot of different things for you in coverage. So looking at what, who they have on the roster right now, you have Deion Bush who's going to be re-signed here on a one-year deal. Uh, you have Jordan Lucas and Marky Christian who are holdovers from last season, but didn't play at all last year. I think Jordan Lucas was an opt-out uh, from the 2020 season as well, I believe, but uh, they're in talks to bring back DeAndre Houston Carson on a one-year deal. So, some guys that have special teams value and guys that, you know, maybe they're solid depth, but they don't really have a quality starter there at that safety position. Maybe that changes uh, throughout the offseason. We kind of saw, you know, last offseason, they waited till after the draft to address that position because, you know, I think they feel pretty confident that with Eddie Jackson there, he kind of makes up for, um, you know, that other safety spot. They feel like they can, you know, kind of go with just a role player there and get away with it. But, um, you know, I think they're going to try to address this thing in the draft first, but if not, there are plenty of veteran quality starters at the safety position available in free agency that they'll go with. We saw that last year with getting to Sean Gibson after the draft. So I think they're going to play this out patiently in free agency, but in terms of the draft here, me personally, I think they should make this a priority alongside quarterback for addressing uh, needs on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's probably their second biggest need on the defensive side of the ball. and Obviously, offense comes first here, but on day three of the draft, you have to look at this position as something to address here because there are a lot of talented safeties in this class. Like I mentioned, this class is very deep with a lot of uh, good players on day two and day three, and I think the Bears could take advantage here with some of these guys. Right. I think when we look at the safety position for the Bears, it's like you mentioned. I mean, Eddie Jackson's obviously going to be a starter, but then who's going to start next to him? I don't think Tashawn Gibson's going to be back unless it's just you get to after the NFL draft and his value is so below what we thought it was going to be that the Bears are able to bring him back on a cheap deal. You look at Deion Bush, you look at DeAndre Houston Carson. I mean, these are guys that were part of the same draft class. And over the last couple of years, there's been some talk of, oh, is a guy like Deion Bush ready to start? I get Deion Bush had the strong preseason two years ago, but beyond that, he's shown nothing that he should be a starter, right? Well, the Bears, they can dip into free agency. I mean, I would say look at a guy like Will Parks if he's still available after the draft. But then again, it's just like if you dip into free agency, you need to do it after the NFL draft because that's when you are going to have guys like Ricardo Allen or even Kenny Vaccaro, for example. I would throw Trey Boston as a name out there that you could go ahead and bring in on much cheaper deals. But ultimately, I think what the Bears need to do at safety this offseason is just draft someone. And draft someone not because you have a draft pick and need to address the position, but draft someone because 
your safety position has been a revolving door for the last couple of years. I mean, you had Hawkland Dix on a one-year, $3.5 million deal in 2019. Then you moved on from Hawkland Dix, right? Then you bring in Tashawn Gibson. Now, Tashawn Gibson's obviously, I believe, like 30-something years old. So ultimately, when I look at this position, especially for a defense that is going to be going through a transition over the next couple of years and is going to feature some older players as well as a perfect mix of some younger draft picks as well, some first, second year guys. You know what? The smart thing to do is just address this position via the draft because you realize once you hit on a quality safety once, that's a position that you don't have to worry about for the next three or four years. Yeah, and it also gives you four years of control on a cheap player that you have some certainty at the position next to Eddie Jackson who's going to be making a lot of money here now that his uh, second contract is finally starting to kick in uh, essentially right now. So, um, yeah, I, I think drafting a safety is would be a very valuable thing. And I think safety, they may not value it as much as other positions on this defense, but it's something that it would just be nice to have some certainty at that position to have you know your two pair of starting guys there just figure it out for the next couple of years or so. And like we kind of talked about here, I think the fifth round, they only have, they don't have a fourth round pick in this draft, but the fifth round, I think that's a sweet spot, I think, uh, to address the position here. And looking at the guys that could be available to them, you know, you're looking at Johnson, Gillespie, Wiggins, Blakenship, all those guys could be available for them there in the fifth round, potentially. I mean, we'll see how the draft plays out, but you know, in most mock drafts that I've been doing recently, uh, that seems like we're the majority of those guys are going to be available in that area of the draft there. So if I'm the bears, I'm looking at that fifth round pick and I'm saying, you know, I think they drafted Adrian Amos with the fifth round pick if I'm not mistaken in the 2015 NFL draft, they could see, I could see a situation where they see it the same way to where, you know, we can get a, a cheap solid safety, you know, starting option at the safety position there in the fifth round with one of these guys develop him a little bit, maybe with a veteran to play in year one, but in year two, year three, year four, we have a cheap, solid starter right next to Eddie Jackson there and get some more youth on this defense. That's another thing. They need to get younger on that side of the ball. And I think getting a guy on day three of the draft that with, you know, you can't find safeties with starting upside on day three, uh, especially in this draft. Uh, that's, that, that, that's definitely something that the Bears need to consider here. And in fact, they should act on that in this draft, I believe. Right. So just overall that safety position, because right now when we look at the Bears draft capital, you realize, okay, they don't have a fourth round pick and that they don't have a seventh round pick either. And the reason they don't have a seventh round pick is because of the Eddie Panario trade in 2019, which they shipped to the Raiders. And essentially what it was is this, is that if Panario was on the roster for more than five games in 2019, the Bears would be giving up a seventh round pick. So the Bears... They do have three sixth-round picks. You look at that and you realize, okay, if you're not going to take a safety in the – I don't see there being any point to take a safety within the first three rounds unless some guy absolutely falls and you just decide to go with, all right, this player is too good to pass up on at that point, which where you're kind of using the best player available strategy. But then I would just say, you know, with one of your three sixth-round picks, go ahead and grab a safety. You know, just bring in someone – to push some of these veterans on the roster because ultimately that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, Pace and Nagy have talked about competition all the time. Well, this is an opportunity to create some extra competition for not only the rest of the roster, but for a unit that's going to be taken over by a first-year defensive player or first-year defensive coordinator. Yep, competition, it can never be a bad thing, I think, especially for a team that you know has quite a few needs right now and needs to get some more youth and more uh, energy on this roster going forward here. Competition, never a bad thing. If you can find that in the fifth, sixth, you know, seventh round, I think that's something that you should definitely do, especially at the safety position where the cupboard is kind of bare outside of Eddie Jackson here when you're looking at this thing long term. All right, I think that's a good time to conclude this episode uh, for Picks for Pace podcast here. Uh, you said, where can they find your work on Twitter? Um, you know, where can they follow you on Twitter and where can they find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on all my social media platforms. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Usaid Koshal. All right, I post football content on all four platforms and then check out my work on the bear report as well. I've got an article coming up here over the next couple of days, hopefully by the end of the week, just in terms of what the bears should do with the 20th overall pick and that teams that they could trade up with. Yeah, but make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Make sure to follow the Bear Report on Twitter at, at Bear Report. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25 and find my work at the Bear Report. You can also find my work on the Bear Report's YouTube channel for some of my film breakdowns. Uh, I have another one in the works here that hopefully will be ready 
for the next week or so, but we'll see what happens there. Also keep an eye on, you know, with pro days coming up and the draft going to be the focus here over the next month or so. Uh, I'm going to have scouting reports and some updates from pro days over the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, we have our first article up for that from pro days, I believe, from the last couple of weeks. So you can go check that out on the Bear Report as well. I want to thank our uh, listeners uh, for tuning in on all podcasting platforms here for the Picks for Pace podcast. Uh, make sure to tune in for next week where hopefully we have some more uh, information on free agency as well as some more stuff to talk about in terms of the draft. So uh, bear down Bears fans and hopefully uh, have all that stuff ready for you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.